Good morning. Well, it's morning here. Welcome to Grounded Content, where tactical and effective meets grounded and honest in advertising, marketing, and content creation. My goal is to bring you a mix of real practical advice and a little bit of philosophy. Today, I talk with marketing guru, Joe Polish, co-host of the I Love Marketing podcast, co-author of the Piranha Marketing course, and the founder of Genius Network and Genius Recovery. We dive right into tactics that work, then zoom out and talk about Joe's life, marketing ethics, and how he's using his success to help people overcome addiction. First of all, I want to thank you, Joe, for joining me today. You're one of the very first guests on Grounded Content, and I'm really grateful that you have agreed to do this. We first met when Joe was a guest on Spartan Up Podcast, and I didn't know that much about you then, but afterwards I started checking out your podcast. And immediately when I started listening to your content, I was really impressed that there was good actionable information, which was a rarity out there. It's great to be here with you, Marion, and I, I really appreciate it. So yeah, I mean, I'm just a, a guy who was a dead broke carpet cleaner living off credit cards was one of my very first entrepreneurial ventures. You know, I started this carpet cleaning business when I was in my early 20s, uh, right around ni- late 1989, early 1990. And I basically went, you know, about $30,000 in debt on credit cards, trying to figure out how to live out this entrepreneurial fantasy of of having my own business and I happened to accidentally stumble into a carpet cleaning business. It's, it's, it's quite an accidental industry for most people. You know, it wasn't something where I was like, Oh, I really want to build a carpet cleaning business when I grow up. Uh, it's just something I was stuck with. And I, you know, had spent all the money that I had saved, which wasn't a lot. And I bought some chemicals and equipment and had a business partner in the very beginning and had business cards that said I was a professional and I needed to figure out how to eat. I needed to survive. And so I learned marketing so that I could pay the bills and try to sustain myself. Uh, I never thought I'd teach it to anyone. I never thought I would consider it one of the most important ingredients to not only business success, but life success. And it's all about human psychology and get, you know, getting people to you know, think and behave in a certain way is one thing, getting them to behave by giving you money and buying things and engage with you and refer you and you know, that's a whole nother ball game. So everything that I do is, is really about helping entrepreneurs. And then also in the last five years, I've put a lot of emphasis on uh, addiction recovery, helping people that struggle with addictions. Because if I actually think about one of my first entrepreneurial ventures, I was probably, you know, a drug dealer because I had to sustain being a drug addict because I was a, a drug addict literally in high school. It was one of the worst times of my life because I was I had become a cocaine addict and it was all really a way of trying to soothe uh, pain and anguish mentally from the, you know, abandonment and physical and sexual abuse as a child. And, you know, I was just didn't know how to deal with the trauma. And uh, so I was a drug addict. And, and when you're a drug addict, you actually use entrepreneurial principles to figure out how to, you know, be resourceful and, and get drugs and do that sort of stuff, but not in a good way, not in ways that actually help yourself and certainly not other humans. Well, this is something that I think is is interesting about that origin story is that, you know, unlike a lot of people who come in into a job as a marketer, you really were measured against ultimate results from day one. And so you had to really quickly iterate and revise and figure out what actually generated results. You know, no BS. There wasn't really any room for error. Right. And what do you think is the most effective way to to cause people to take an action? Yeah, well, look, uh, I mean, like selling carpet cleaning services, it's, it's 
trying to persuade people to buy something nobody wants to buy. Some things are bought, other things they have to be sold. I did a Nightingale Conant program, which is a company that you know, was at, in their heyday, they were the largest sellers of audio learning programs in the world. And I created uh, with a guy named Tim Polson, the number one selling marketing program at Nightingale Conant. It was called Piranha Marketing, the seven success multiplying factors to dominate any industry that you enter. And uh, you can still buy it on Amazon, but that program, I mean, on uh, Audible, but that program was done years ago. I, I said, if, if the world supply of toilet paper ran out tomorrow, and you happen to have a garage full of toilet paper, you don't need to be a clever marketer. So, you know, if you have a, a garage full of toilet paper and people want it, you can put a cardboard sign out in front of your house or somewhere and say, I got toilet paper, 50 bucks a roll. But if you have either an uneducated marketplace, you have a lot of competitors, a lot of people selling or perceiving to sell the same exact thing, you better learn how to position yourself and so selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face-to-face -face with somebody. Marketing is what you do to get someone on the phone or face-to-face -face with you properly positioned. So by the time you're talking to them, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to give you money. You've, you've enrolled them. And so to go to your question, you know, one of the very best things that anyone could do is put value uh, in front of somebody in the form of information or education that compels them to for one, get their attention, stop in their tracks and take the next action. And that might be, you know, opt into a website that may be call you on the phone uh, and, and, you know, buy something. But ultimately, people get so caught up in the technology. In 1997, Steve Jobs basically said that we focus first on the user experience and then we focus on the technology. So technology is important. There's a lot of delivery systems that are available these days that never existed, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, so there's always more and more ways that you can get messages to people. Psychology, though, that's rarely going to change. People want stuff. They don't want stuff. There's going to be lots of different people vying for the same attention. And so in the attention economy or lack thereof, your job as a marketer is to get attention and to establish a rapport with people. Uh, the number one question in all consumers' minds is, who can I trust? And so your job as a marketer is to establish not just trust, but rapport. And, and rapport is trust with comfort, where people not just trust you, but they feel comfortable with you. And one of the best ways to do that robotically is to be valuable in advance. And so even my marketing with carpet cleaning wasn't what most people's marketing was back then, which is you know a yellow page ad that said who they are, what they do in their phone number. And I would call that like in the military, name, rank, serial number. You know, that's what people are broadcasting. And frankly, you see a lot of that today just in the form of digital media, right? And digital marketing. And the thing that I found funny is that, well, you know, here we are trying to sell something nobody wants to buy. They don't know anything about carpet cleaning. Uh, and I remember, I remember seeing an educational guide that a, a guy had put out on how to buy carpet. And it was like teaching people how to buy carpet. And I contacted him and said, did you write this thing? And he goes, no, I actually hired a copywriter to, to write it. And I had been studying um, direct response marketing. My very first introduction to it was a guy named Gary Halbert. And so I hired a copywriter to write my very first sales letter, which was a consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. And I can go through it with you if you'd like. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of a formula that almost anyone could, could utilize. 
I remember this term Gary Halbert said where he's like, any problem in the world can be solved with the right sales letter. And, and when I first heard that, I was like, well, you know, there's many problems that can't be solved with the sales letter. What if you're single? What if you have cancer? What if you have a, a child that needs a kidney transplant? What if there's, you know, wars and racism and stuff? I mean, I'll tell you, though, the more I've been into this, almost any problem in the world can be either solved or at least improved. I want to hear this. And I want to hear, you said you could go through the, the formula and I'd love to hear it. And I don't know if you know Chris Brogan. When I asked him about authenticity, he said, just be helpful. It's a very similar model. That's absolutely it. So let's just take that as a term, what, what, what Chris says, just be helpful. I made my advertising and my marketing helpful. So it's like, I didn't have a sales letter. So it, what I was dealing with there is people would call me up and they said, how much you charge? That was the number one question that people would ask is how much you charge? And I hated that question. And every business owner hates that question. But what they don't realize is, that is actually a great question because someone's at least trying to inquire and get information about something you might be able to sell them to solve a problem or fill whatever want they have, whatever need they have. You know, that whole find a need and fill it is really not true. It's really find a want and fill it. Plenty of things that people mm. need to do, but they don't do. Uh, people do what they want to do. And so it's like find a want and fill it. <laughs> and so uh, being helpful. Like my first consumer awareness guide, it went like this. It said, consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. Read this guide and discover seven questions. Ask a carpet cleaner before you invite him into your home. Eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner. Six costly misconceptions about carpet cleaning. Crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping, and galloping through your carpet. I love that you have every one of those memorized. Totally memorized. I mean, this is all shtick. And uh, once I wrote it, I realized, you know, I don't have to repeat this. The consumer guide does it for me. But the beauty of it is, is I spent a month with this copywriter and I paid him $1,800 at the time, which I thought was, I had to borrow it on a credit card because I didn't have the money. I was like broke, but I believed that this process of, education-based marketing would actually work. Yeah, so whole, tell me more about this process. So if I could educate people on how to make a buying decision, it's not what people don't know. It's what people don't know that they don't know that makes all the difference. People don't know there's seven questions, ask a carpet cleaner, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, the difference between value and price, how to get your carpet cleaner to 100% guarantee their work, you know, all, that, all the stuff that I'm saying, they, they don't know any of that until... I put read this guide and discover. See, nobody wants to learn anything. They want to discover stuff. I mean, do you want to learn about how to go find gold or do you want to discover it? And so there's all these little words that you learn that are more uh, enrolling. Think of selling as influence. Think of marketing as storytelling. And if you are more influential, you're going to be more persuasive. You can do that in person. You can do that over the phone. You can do that on video. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it. But when you can and clone yourself, when you replicate yourself, when, like this podcast is an example. Once it's recorded, it will exist forever unless, you know, uh, Cynet or whoever the, you know, the technology gods decide to eradicate every form of evidence of marketing with some weird sort of AI that just blows up this podcast, you know, 47 years from now or whatever. So, so we're canning and cloning ourselves, right? We're recording it. We're putting it out there. It's replicated. Well, think of the same thing with any sort of marketing message. You want your advertising to be so interruptive, not in, a, in an annoying way, but in an attention-getting way so that you keep on interrupting until they take action because it takes incredible amounts of persuasion to get people to do the things they want to do, let alone the things they don't want to do. 
and there's a lot of things vying for people's attention. So it's one thing to communicate. It's another for people to be able to comprehend what you're communicating. People talk about how content is king. Absolutely. You want to have great content, but content is not king. Uh, context is king is one way to say it. And another way to say it is, you know, uh, the only thing worse than singing the wrong note is singing it louder. And so you, you want to have the right note. You want to say it to the right audience. So that when it comes to marketing, the, the select a single target market is one of the first things. Like on the podcast I do with Dean Jackson uh, called I Love Marketing, we have these eight profit activators. And the first one is select a single target market. Because if you don't do that first, you're like, well, what should the sales letter say? What should the copy be? What should the video do? What, what should the message be? And it's like, well, first off, who are you talking to? We want to select a single target audience. We want to know exactly who it is that we're talking to. And we want to show up with something that solves a problem or gives, fills a want or does whatever it is they're looking for. And what I found one of the most effective ways to do that is to, like my buddy Jason Fladlin says, he's one of my 100K members. I have a group that people pay 100 grand a year to go to. And he's like this brilliant guy at teaching webinars. Great. I mean, he's done over a hundred million in sales on webinars. And he says, anything that you're trying to sell, you want to put information in front of it. And it's a simple line, but it's a profound line. And it's really important for people to get. So when, when I was trying to sell carpet cleaning services, and I will say, if you sell anything as a listener that's listening to us right now, that's even more remotely exciting or sexy than carpet cleaning, you can use what it is we're talking about here, right? So it's, uh, so I put a consumer guide in front of them. I would run ads that said, free report reveals, you know, how to get your carpet clean properly for the lowest possible price. The key word though is not lowest price, it's properly. Then I would uh, run ads, you know, uh, call and request consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. And people would call me up and they, before I started figuring out how to advertise it, they would say, you know, call up, say, how much you charge? I said, well, you know, I've written a consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. If you give me your address, I will mail it to you. It'll teach you everything you need to know on how to hire a carpet cleaner. I'm also going to include uh, an offer. So we'll clean one room up to 200 square feet free of charge. And we're going to do a carpet audit along with it to evaluate the condition of your carpet. Uh, after we do the cleaning, you can see the quality of our work because we're going to demonstrate it for you. And if you decide you want any additional cleaning done, we can do it right there on the spot. And it comes with a hundred percent money back guarantee, you know, that sort of stuff. Now I used to say that at first and some people would bite on it, but then I realized, oh, I was going into a sales pitch. Like mm -hmm. I was talking about my other services. And then I was like, let me just send them the guide. Don't say anything. Call up. Yeah, let me be useful. Let's let me be helpful to go back to the helpful comment. Let me just send it to you. Now, back then there was no email. I'm literally physically printing these, putting them on a stamp, addressing them, dropping them in the mail. And oh my God, it positioned me. It was no longer like, here's a guy trying to sell me carpet cleaning. Here's someone trying to help me. And my advertising and my marketing became useful. It was like teaching them how to make a buying decision. Now it worked. What, what, I, what I did though is I was like, how do I can and clone myself? How do I replicate myself? Because I now call it elf marketing, easy, lucrative, and fun versus half, hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. People that don't do what I'm talking about, they don't really have an elf business. They have a half business. It's, it's, you can have a hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating business, a hard, annoying, <laughs> lame, and frustrating business if you're broke. I mean, I had a half business because I was broke. I, I mean, so when they call up and say how much you charge, that's the only question they have to, to start a conversation. 
and they're seeking for information. And if you don't create a, a, a system for selling what it is you're selling, you're always at the mercy of the consumer system for buying, which everyone has, and it's called price. And so it's, it's a formulaic methodology that I have taught to tens of thousands of business owners. It has generated several billion dollars in revenue that are directly traceable to my teachings, my ads, my campaigns, my promotions, my programs. So that none of this is like my opinion. Now we have all the answers, right? Now, we, <laughs> now, now I'm going to get a little bit philosophical. So one of the things you said is the hardest thing to do is to break through the noise. Yeah. And I think that's where the temptation is for a lot of people to start using some of the unethical practices, fear-mongering or exaggeration. What do you say to that? If somebody is, is on the ropes and they really need to be effective and they need to get customers? Yeah, that's an interesting question because there's a lot of incredibly capable people that have shitty characters. So it's not a capability issue as, as much as it is a character issue. There's that. And then there's people that are in a situation where, let, let me speak to the desperate thing. So back in 1999, I was, I went on ABC's 2020, Barbara Walters, and then the investigative reporter at the time was a guy named Arnold Diaz. And, uh, you know, I had gone on a local, uh, you know, prior to that, I was on a local, um, you know, ABC News in, in, um, in Phoenix, uh, doing an undercover bait and switch operation. So I was being, I became in the carpet cleaning industry, the, you know, at the time in the 90s and and I became like really outspoken about bait and switch advertising, which is interesting because I'm in a world of marketing that is filled with scoundrels. It right. is filled with incredibly bright people that many of them are just ass. They don't, they sell crap in a box. They, they, they hype the shit out of things that aren't true. They lie for a living. I mean, it's, 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 in, it's interesting. And I, know a lot of them personally. Um, mm. Many of them you can learn from, but you never want to do a business deal with them. And I've painfully learned that, you know, some of these people present themselves as really nice, caring people, and you can befriend them in it. And they're so good at, you know, a narcissist is really good at seeking out people that really aren't and then gaslighting the hell out of them and convincing people. And then when you see all kinds of people, you know, following them, you think they're legit. Right. And right. I'll tell you some of the most famous influencers in the world, if you knew who they were as humans backstage, it'd be a whole different story. But anyway, that's all another topic. But uh, you know, I went on ABC's 2020, there was this one company that, they were a bait and switch company. They would go in and they would advertise 595 a room, 695 a room. And I have no problem with upselling people into additional services. It's not selling that's bad. It's how you do it. Mm. You know, there's a big, you know, date rape is different than someone that like loves you. I mean, and there are business owners that date rape freaking people. Mm. I mean, it's, it's literally terrible the way some of this goes down. And so there was this one company, you know, what they would do is they would go into a home and they would do high pressure selling and they would get in with a low price, which is bait and switch. And one of them had a kid that I, it, it, he wasn't a bad guy. He, you could just tell he, he needed a job and he was stuck in this company and he was forced to have to try to upsell people in this unethical way. And I felt really bad for him. And after the whole thing went down, I mean, I sat down with him and said, you know what, man, yeah, look, you may not even be able to pay your bills right now and you may be struggling, but don't do this. I mean, this is, I, I can just tell this is not who you are as a person. Don't learn that the way that 
you sell people is by high pressuring them. See, people love to be sold, they hate to be pressured. So there are truly people that don't care and there's other people that they have not figured out how to do it. So there's this mm -hmm. Anthony Greenback quote from a book called The Book of Survival. And it starts off with, I may not say it exactly right, but it's like in order to get through an impossible situation, you don't need the reflexes of a Grand Prix driver, the mind of an Einstein, the muscles of a Hercules, you simply need to know what to do. And when people don't, you can get through almost any situation if you know what to do. So when people don't know what to do, they may resort to things like that's all they learn. And right. if you, you know, and it, it, it's true. I mean, if you hang around demons, you may become one of them. So you have to question the integrity, the morals, the ethics of how people operate. And all money earned ethically is a byproduct of value creation. And if you're, if the, if, you know, and, and it's not that hard to figure out, people give you money, are they happy with it? Did the way you encounter them? You know, see, people judge other people on their actions. They judge themselves on their intentions. So even people that are screwed. Yeah, I learned that from, what is my buddy's name that I first heard that from? Um, I always like quoting and citing people. You'll hear me say other people's names all the time because I think one of the biggest uh, ways of disrespecting someone's IP is not citing them and crediting them. So just for the record, for whatever reason, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, he said, how many in this audience have ever been screwed by some people, by anyone? And, you know, half the audience raised their hand. Uh, how many of you have ever ripped someone off or screwed anyone? No one raises their hand. He goes, isn't that interesting? It's, it's always the other person's doing it. And the reason is, is, you know, we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their actions. And so I, I'm always very perceptive about how do my actions show up? What what am I really doing? How are other people experiencing it? And if you have unhappy clients, if you have continually unhappy people or people complaining, you know, take some damn responsibility, which is responding with ability that, you know, take a look at what it is, is you're doing and, and, and evaluate the sort of situation. And, but if you also have people that are really happy and they think you're awesome and you're producing a result, pay attention to that. Focus on what is the value creation that I'm actually offering people, how do I make it better? How do I replicate more of it? How do I use that in my marketing? I mean, you know, people are always looking for, you know, what's the best copy? What's the best offer? What's the best headline? And sometimes the very best marketing that you're ever going to have for your company is simply the words expressed on video or in writing or on audio by people that have done business with you that are, it's almost like a character reference. I got used to living in a town of 500 people. I lived there for 28 years and everybody yeah. knew me. And so I didn't have to do the, like the pitch, the first right. impression. And so when I traveled and I would say something to someone, I would get a totally different response because I forgot that they didn't know me. They just were right. hearing the words. Yeah, well, see, with those 500 people, you had a certain built-in rapport that came there from living there and everyone getting to know each other. And so what do you do when people don't know who you are? I mean, there's a lot to be said about the, you know, the thing a lot of marketers will say, no like, and trust. You know, we want to do business with people we like. We want to do business with people that we trust. You want to put useful information out. If you can create a result in advance and demonstrate it. I mean, I gave, I made more money and have taught more carpet cleaners how to make more money giving away free carpet cleaning coupled with the presentation that I would teach them. I taught them it's not just making an offer and getting in the door. It's what you do once you're there. You know, how do you actually sell people ethically? Because I've been on five different 
television shows on bait and switch years ago. I mean, you can find some of them still on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dig it up. So what some of these companies were doing, I mean, there were people that were charging elderly people thousands of dollars to have their carpet clean. And I mean, who the hell does that? The problem is, is when you're a marketer and you're talking about this and people hear marketing, you immediately get thrown into everyone's had a bad experience with someone that tried to pressure them. I mean, name anything, a Martin Luther King uh, you know, movement, Mother Teresa, John F. Kennedy, name any of these people that accomplished any changing of perspectives or views for good or bad, Hitler, good or bad, that did not use selling, that did not use marketing. I, I mean, there's a, I was being interviewed for a documentary. One of the questions was, is selling evil? The person asked me, is selling evil? And I went on some rant for three minutes and 50 seconds. And then a guy who works for me, saw this and he's like, oh, it's pretty interesting what you said. And he uploaded it to uh, YouTube. But I basically give a definition of D Dan Sullivan's. Uh, I asked Dan Sullivan years ago, I just said, Dan, how would you define selling? And he, he just said this and I wrote it down because I was like, this is really profound. He said, selling is getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. You can get someone intellectually engaged in a future result that isn't good for them and get them to commit to take action to achieve that result. Drink this alcohol, smoke this cigarette, watch this porn. You know, do, I mean, and there's lots of people that use selling for that way. But if what you're doing is getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them, and then getting them to emotionally commit, the way that I break it down is if you really care about somebody, like they're going to go out with someone that you know is a bad person and you, you care about them and you're trying to help them and save them from going down a path, right? What would you do? You would challenge them. You would talk to them. You would persuade them. You would listen to them. I mean, you might get in harm's way to try to protect them depending on the level of, of you know, especially if it was a child or a family member or a best friend, you would do all of these things to persuade, to influence, to direct them. Even if it involved levels of trickery, which we are filled all kinds of games. You know, people are like, I want to meet someone that doesn't play games. But the fact is people love to win, they hate to lose. So what I'm saying here is set up the game so you win. And one of the best ways to set up the game for you to win is to make sure other people win. I mean, and, 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 and when you're talking about ethics and everything and it's win-lose, I mean, the fact is don't, don't do a win-lose game. I mean, it's, it, it makes no sense. If people understood that there's more value in relationships than in transactions. You, you know, if you look at the lifetime value of the client, which requires a good relationship with the client, a happy client, someone that will refer you. And one of the things I say is that if you've ever, you know, if you've ever uh, read a book, uh, you know, gone to a movie, uh, went to a restaurant, told somebody about it, and they ended up going to that restaurant, reading that, but going to the movie, you have successfully sold them your way of conveying it. To, so everyone is successfully sold, except a lot of people sell themselves in the fact that they can't sell. The point behind getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result is good for them is we're always selling and going back to your friend that you care about, and they're going to go out with someone that's a bad person. You're going to do all kinds of stuff to dissuade them, right? And hopefully not have them go down off the cliff, go into harm's way. And who you become is a better version of you. And so then I'll say to people, who are you in the best of terms when you're looking out for someone that you really care about? You genuinely 
want you you're, you're you're doing your best to persuade them with every bit of knowledge intellect resource connection know-how methodology process recipe whatever the hell it is to help another human being all of these wonderful qualities come out of you what evokes those qualities what is the process it's called selling and so when you're selling in the best of terms getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result you become the best version of you. And if that's the thing that evokes the best version of you, when, how often should one be selling? I'll ask a group of audience. And they're like, all the time. Exactly. So you should be selling all the time. But here's the frame, though. The number one sales job we have to do is not on other people. It's on ourselves. If you want to have a shitty day, wake up and say, today's going to be shitty. You want to have a better day? Like my buddy B.J. Fogg, you know, the pre professor at Stanford who wrote a great book called Tiny Habits. You know, one of his students took his methodology and co-founded Instagram. And so B.J., you know, has this whole model of uh, motivation, ability, and, and, and prompts. And he has a thing called the Ma Maui, uh, Maui habit, like in Hawaii, where he's like, first thing, he's trained himself to say, today's going to be a great day. And we were doing a training yesterday with him for all my Genius Network members. And he said, you know, talking like that day, yesterday, he, he said, you know, I was tired this morning. I just felt like crap, but I did it anyway. And you know what? It just helps. And so, you know, we can write a love story. We can write a romance novel. We can write a drama, but we do it every day. So the sales job we have to do to ourselves is the self-talk we have. And if you find yourself in a desperate situation, if you find yourself having to rely on te techniques that you don't know what else to do. Hopefully, this has given some perspective on there are other ways to do it. You don't have to use trickery to enroll people. If you're truly selling something that isn't valuable for somebody, then get out of it as quickly as you can. Sell something else. I mean, don't force yourself to live a life that you can't go to bed at night feeling proud of. As you were talking about you know, selling, and how it brings out the best in you when you're helping somebody that you care about change their behavior for the better. Is that kind of the idea behind genius recovery? Yeah. I mean, my thing with genius recovery is if there's anything, it's about connection. I mean, my number one thing that I try to do is connection. So I, I grew up as one of the most disconnected people. I was shy. I was introverted. I was scared. My mother died when I was four. I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff happened growing up. I was raped and molested as a kid. I became a drug addict. Uh, I became a sex addict later in life, meaning it's an intimacy disorder. My favorite definition of, uh, of intimacy was given to me by a 70-year-old gay man who I never met in person, just over the phone. I was talking with him because a friend of mine who had this guy as a sponsor said, I really think you should talk to this individual. And uh, he was in a 12-step uh, community. And he basically said, intimacy is a mutual exploration of a shared safe place. Abuse is anything that takes away the safe place. And addictions are what we do to make ourselves feel good when we don't have a safe place. So if you don't feel safe in the world, you're going to look for ways to soothe the pain. You know, as my buddy Gabor Mate says, you know, the question is not why the addiction, but why the pain. And, and, and most people that are in addicts are pain in the ass. I mean, when addicts are in their worst states, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they hurt people, they hurt themselves. When it comes to substances, the number one killers in America are sugar first, tobacco second, alcohol third, opiates fourth. I mean, we live in a, you know, we live in a weird sort of world with lots of lots, lots of things, but it's about connection. Johan Hari 
has this great line where he says the opposite of addiction is connection. So what I try to do is connect people and recovery. Uh, I'm not going to tell someone what recovery should be for them. What I want to do is provide genius recovery, the, the best levels of treating addiction. So my goal is to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share those with the world. So it's a monstrous undertaking. The real goal is to just, you know, what works, what helps the most, how do we tell people about it? So I have, you know, Genius Recovery, which we have a foundation. We, you know, we don't currently sell anything. The only thing I even remotely sell is a book that I wrote with Hal Elrod and Anna David called The Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery. And it goes through how to use the morning uh, rituals in order to help you with your recovery. But there's four things that someone uh, needs to do that I've discovered because I record my research. I interview a lot of people. I've been in recovery for over 20 years. I've spent a lot of money on therapy. I'm in, fortunately, I'm one of the individuals that, that has, I've made money. Um, and so I try to set up things for people that have no money. Where can they go and get help? Where can they find meetings that are free? So Genius Recovery has links to every type of meeting and addiction you could imagine and links to where to find virtual meetings, but certainly people can find these with a Google search too, uh, but I've organized it in a certain way. And the first goal is to change the global conversation because if you look at yourself as a moral degenerate for being an addict, for having cravings that you can't control, you know, you, can't, you cannot punish pain out of people. And so I'm trying to take my marketing skills and the things that I discover, the people, the processes, the things that I think are most helpful, things that have helped me in my own recovery, and share those with the world. Part of that is me telling my own story. Uh, I don't advise that to everybody. There's a big difference between secrecy and privacy. The fuel for addiction is shame. You know, I feel bad is guilt. I am bad is shame. You know, shame is I'm fundamentally bad. And when you feel like you're a rotten person or you don't deserve anything, you go out with toxic people, you, you know, you just continually re, you, you know, you, you re, you re-abuse yourself. And if you keep going down that cycle, you start abusing other people. And there's all these children in the world that are traumatized or have had trauma. And it's not the, the event per se that happens to them. That's the problem. It's the inability to process it. It's someone that's a, an empathetic listener. It's being in an environment. So the four things I've discovered is for, you know, the quick version of if you're suffering or struggling with addiction, or you have a family member and every human, if you don't encounter it right now, it will come down. I mean, I believe addiction is the greatest global crisis we have in the world. Wars, racism, so many things I can point to and show how addiction is so involved in the perpetuation of it. So the first is community. No one, you know, no one uh, recovers in isolation. Silent battles are the hardest battles to fight. You're as sick as your secrets. You have to have a trusted group of people that you can process this with. That's where 12-step recovery is really, really valuable. And the latest research has come out on 12 steps because they were getting bashed by people. It doesn't work. Look, you know, everyone relapses. The latest research actually shows the exact opposite of that. It's one of the most effective things that can be done. Uh, but it doesn't have to be 12 steps, but you need a community. Second is it's biochemical, serotonin, dopamine, food, nutrition, exercise. I mean, you're an expert at this. You've seen what athletics do and what challenges do and what communities do and engagement. I mean, that you've, you've documented this. I mean, you could speak, you know, you, you, there's so much perspective that you have about this that I don't even have, which is amazing. So it's, it's, you know, biochemical. The third is it's the underlying trauma work, somatic therapy, EMDR, meditation, breathing, exercise, that what gets you into a flow state. 
I'll say this with a big caveat, the proper use of plant medicines, ibogaine for opiate addictions, ayahuasca, psilocybin for you know, depression, MDMA guided therapy. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of enormous possibilities with the proper treatment, but there's also a lot of dangerous people running around calling themselves shaman that are, you know, putting people in dangerous situations. And so that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, and then the fourth is the environment, you know, the environment you're in based on the rat park studies by Bruce Alexander, where he put rats in the cage and, uh, you know, given the choice of regular water and drug water, they would take the drugs until they die. But you put them in rat paradise, what he called rat park, and give them the choice of drug water and regular water, they don't drink the drug water. So the question becomes, is it the drugs or is it the cage? And so if someone's in a very, so if you apply that to any area of life, if you're, you know, community, biochemical, you know, underlying trauma work, getting into a flow state, you know, putting in uh, you, those. So when someone's like, I've got the answer to addiction, it's not that easy. It's a puzzle. But if you look at those four areas and different things, you give yourself. So a lot of people think of, of addiction recovery as sobriety. That's only stage one. And that's a heroic act to get sober. But when you're sober, then you have to deal with what caused you to drink, do drugs, watch porn, be a workaholic, which is the respectable addiction, which is why I'm taking a one-year sabbatical next year. Uh, you know, gambling addict. I mean, we're, we're looking for love in all the wrong places as addicts. So where do you look for love? What is love? And if you can define recovery, there's a much better chance you can actually have it. And I think, I think the planet needs some recovery right now. All the stuff I talk about with, you know, building relationships and marketing, if, you know, if you're, if you're disconnected with yourself, you're going to be disconnected with others. You're more apt to exploit people, not care about them. But the more connected you are, I, I honestly think you're just going to be a simply better, more pleasant, more successful human being, a better parent, a better friend, uh, better for your community. And so my whole thing is help build a better entrepreneur and connect them with ideas and individuals. And, and, and I think of Genius Network, like any problem in the world can be solved with the right Genius Network. It's not just the name of a group I have in a company, but I think in order to solve any problem, you have to have a genius network. The right genius network can help you with recovery, can help you with building a business, it could help you with any, you know, if you wanna be a better parent, who are the, if you had to pick eight people, who are the top models and you talked, that's your genius network for parenting, what's your genius network for health, what's your genius network for spiritual development? And in order to have a genius network, you have to do genius networking, which is the activity and you have to be a genius networker. So be a genius networker, do genius networking, and you will have a genius network. And that's the be, do, have. That's as close as I can try to parlay it into something that sounds like I'm a spiritual dude or something. We, we covered so many different things. And I, and I want to respect your time because we've been on the phone a long time. And what I love, though, is I feel like I can see your, your body language and your manner. You, you sort of started out in your presentation mode. And as the conversation has gone on, you've just become conversational and grounded and, and yourself more. It's kind of nice to, to watch it. But I'm going to throw out one more question, and then I will let you go. No worries. Um, to, to have a genius network, you have to do genius networking, right? And I think that's another place where there's this fine line between sort of self-interest and interest for others and being effective. And so I'd love to know what your tactics are for being a genius networker and i won't let you get away with just saying be helpful oh well, okay so um <laughs> well let me take it how about really be helpful instead of just saying a saying that sounds like clever but is actually useful 
I put out, I, I just put out a lot of useful things and I put information in front of people. I follow my own advice. So for instance, uh, I've got, you know, I've interviewed over 900 people, all kinds of famous people, you know, all the, all the freaking crazy famous book authors from the Tim Ferriss's to the Gary Vaynerchuk's and all those crazy people. And, you know, Richard Branson and, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, Damon John, people from Shark Tank, Tony, and all that stuff is, I mean, you can find all that crap online. And uh, so it's all free, right? And then we have the I Love Marketing podcast, which literally we've had people become millionaires that have never bought anything. And I know the vast majority of people that uh, benefit from what I put out into the world will never pay me a penny because I sell expensive things. I mean, my, the stuff that I sell in terms of my business activities, like I, I, most of my world is giving it away for free, the genius recovery stuff, the podcast, all of that stuff. Even like, so if someone wants to see what I do, just go to joesfreebook.com, truly download the book, read it. Uh, you can get a physical copy if you want to pay for shipping and handling. And unlike many marketers, that is, it's a shitty book that you actually then put people into an upsell funnel. And once they go there to get the free book and enter their credit card, they're then hit with like 14 things to buy. We don't do that. It's a free book. You don't have to buy anything from me. Just go download the book, read it. It's a really good book. And people love that book. So Joe's free book. It's called Life Gives to the Giver because I believe life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. So go download my book, Life Gives to the Giver at joesfreebook.com. And you'll see that, okay, here's what I do. I just help people. I give them advice. I teach them how I think about marketing, what to do, strategies. And then I put out all my podcasts and stuff like that. So that's, you know, I wish I had something more sophisticated. Uh, do we have websites? Of course, you know, people can go to Genius Network and they can fill out an application, but you got to make at least a million bucks a year to even come to my group. And then we have like other, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but that's what I do. I, I, I just put out a lot of uh, useful, valuable uh, information and I try to help people, you know, I want to be a hero to entrepreneurs and I want to be a hero to people that struggle with uh, addiction. One of your suggestions, in fact, on, uh, I think on one of your calls, one of your free calls was right now, go and register the domain of your name, free book. Yes. And so I don't have a book yet, but I own the domain, <laughs> Marion's free book, because someday <laughs> you never know there will be a free book there. So every podcast that you do, I would ask your listeners, and we'll do it here as a test, and you play around with it. You don't have to do any of this stuff, but I'm just going to throw it out there since we're off the cuff. So everyone that's listened to this, I'd like them to submit their top three insights, ideas, or things that they're going to apply, and then post that wherever this they see this podcast. Then you take those insights, and you take the transcriptions of your interviews, you pull out the very best metaphors, quotes, perspectives, strategies, whatever, and every, and then after you've done like, you know, five or 10 interviews, you can put together a book off that, or you take 50 of them after you've done 50 podcasts. But what you do is you couple it with the insights that your listeners have got from it. You then make Marion's free book, which is a summary of the best ideas from the podcast. And that becomes your book. And then the book, of course, encourages people to uh, wherever you got the ideas to hear the full interview with Joe Polish, go here to hear the few interview with whoever, then you, you redirect them back to your, you know, to your podcast, then the social media little, you know, quotes and stuff, you do that and you drive them to Marion's free book, you drive them to listen to this podcast. That's how I would do it. I mean, let let the users and your guests create your book for you. I love it. <laughs> And everyone listening can do the same damn thing if they get off their butts and just do it. Well, Joe, uh, thank you so much. This has been really fun.
let's try it. Let me know what your three insights, ideas, or the things you plan to implement are. I have a form set up at madmotion.com slash grounded podcast. That's madmotion.com slash grounded podcast. Or just look me up at madmotion on Twitter and let's talk. Check back soon for the next episode with podcast marketing and community building icon Jessica Kupferman, who, along with Elsie Escobar, built the largest women's podcasting community, both online and offline. She's also the CMO of PodFest Multimedia Expo. See you next week.